RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Ryan Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, everybody. It is Friday. Friday, 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 Friday. Which means it's Duffified Live Day. This is episode number seven of Duffified Live. And I am super, super, super stoked to uh, to talk about some stuff that I've got going on this week. Uh, you know, uh, I, I spent a whole week in Fort Myers uh, last week with uh, some of, just some of the greatest people down at the City Tavern uh, on Bay in Fort Myers. And uh, it, it's just a really well-run operation. And it was kind of, I, I think, a little bit of uh, a little karma that I happened to be down there at this time and this and, – and really, you know, for this day of St. Patrick's Day. My uh, my clients who were down there, uh, a guy named Kevin Offerman, who uh, is just a tremendous human being, and um, I've worked with him for the last five years, and I've had a, uh, an, an amazing time working with the, these guys, with the same staff over and over, from the kitchen across to the managers to the bartenders to every part of it. And I, I usually go down and I spend uh, – I fly in the night before and I get to spend the next day in the kitchen with the guys. And I, I do this a lot of times through my company. So my company is Duffified Experience Group. And through that, I get to go into these kitchens and spend time with chefs and cooks and prep cooks and dishwashers and all of these different people that I get to have amazing experiences with. And what I do is we, we get in there and we all kind of sit down first. And, and one of the first things that I, I make sure that we do is, is I, I let these guys know that first and foremost, I'm a cook. And I really have, have, have embraced this business as much as I can and the art of what we do, the art of the preparation, which in my world creates the experience. But I, I get to sit down with these guys and I, and I say, you know, what do you like to eat? What is your go-to meal? If you're going to go home right now, what is it that you want to eat? What is it that you really enjoy? And I get all these different worlds and I get all these different responses, everything from, hey, I love a chicken finger or I love a great egg that's cooked in the morning or um, I love a cheesesteak or I love a burger. I love a New York strip with green beans and mashed potatoes. Like, you know, I get every single aspect of the world and every single angle from the people that I get to talk to. And then after that, we get to go into the kitchen and we kind of start to create. We kind of play around. We have some fun. We come up with new ideas and new dishes and and I get to bring it back to basics, even if it's just the, the, you know, how to teach a guy, you know, teaching a guy how to hold a knife, you know, the different parts to a knife and, and the strongest part of the knife and the most precise part of a knife and, and how to do that. And then we work into technique from across there, the technique of how to saute an onion and what saute means. And it's really an opportunity for me to, to share the knowledge that I have, um, and then after that, I get to go out and I get to talk to the whole staff. I usually do kind of a little, you know, forum where I get out there and I talk to the staff and I communicate about hospitality and why we're in this business and what it is that we do and the importance of creating an experience for our guests, that it is not just about selling the food. Yes, it's a business. Yes, I totally get that. But we as restaurant operators have a responsibility to take what we do and create an experience for somebody. And 
it was kind of ironic, I guess, that I was having this conversation with all of these bartenders and servers and owner and cooks. And I was talking to them about what I was about to talk to my whole staff at my restaurant. We made some mistakes when we first opened. Um, we made some big mistakes. You know, uh, I, I travel a tremendous amount. I had a major, uh, we had a, a major blow to us when we first opened that, that was a little hard to recover from, which was the GM who I had spent six weeks working with about culture and hospitality and systems and organization. And, and he went to jail. Yeah. Pause. No man went to jail and it kind of fucked us up because I flew out two days afterwards. And there was nothing that I could do about that. There was no way that I could stay. There was no way that I could stay back. I had a contracted appearance that I had to be at. And then immediately after that, I had to go and open a restaurant. So, so my own personal restaurant made a tremendous amount of mistakes. And I was going in on Tuesday after just an amazing weekend. And I went in on Tuesday to have this conversation with my staff about culture and about the importance of following the culture. And then as an owner, we all have to make sure that our staff understand where it is that we are. And I, I have some stuff that I do where I kind of talk about, you know, I talk about a roadmap and that roadmap of what to do, that roadmap of, of, Sharing your information and your mission statement and your core value with your staff, because without that, you're never, ever, ever going to grow. You know, if you're holding the, the, the key to success in your pocket without sharing it with your staff, then you're failing not only yourself, but your business and all of the people that work for you. So, I found this quote a couple of years ago that's pretty important to me, and it's something that I really live through, and, it, and it's, it's called a roadmap to success, and, and it goes simple. It's like this. Imagine hitting the open road without a map to reveal where you're going. It's the same with trying to succeed without explicit goals established. But once you take the time to write down your goals and action steps to obtaining these goals, you're more likely to find the professional and personal success for which you strive. So I take that and I, and I, I move that along into the hospitality world of I'm, I'm an owner and I have a vision for this restaurant that is a culture. And I have to share that information with my staff. And I do that through a mission statement and a core value so that everybody can understand. And, and I'm going to read you my mission statement for the restaurant right now. Flying Fish Craft House is a neighborhood bar and restaurant established to operate and provide the highest quality of fresh food, fresh beer, and great service. We create an environment that empowers our employees to perform to their fullest potential, enabling the business to achieve its goals. Our goal is to exceed the expectation of every guest who walks through the doors. That's the mission statement. That's what I believe in. That's what I want my staff to understand and to feel the passion that I have behind that so that when my guests walk through the front door of my restaurant, they are greeted immediately with a smile. They are walked and guided to a table. They're not chasing after a hostess. When they get to that table, I have a series of what I call nuts, which are non-negotiable, unalterable terms and systems that I want my staff to follow. 
and they're simple. You get to the table and you're going to greet the guest. You're going to place a coaster down on that table. If you're a new guest, we put a red napkin on the table and that red napkin signifies that something special is about to happen. That means that a manager who's working the floor is going to come over and they're going to introduce themselves to you because first and foremost, we're a neighborhood bar. No matter that we're 8,000 square feet, no matter that we've partnered up with Flying Fish, who is an amazing brewer out of New Jersey, no matter the responsibilities or anything else that I've ever done or, or the accolades that anybody's ever received, it really comes down to the simple fact that we're a neighborhood bar and grill. We just happen to have a massive space in which we do that in. So when you explain what it is that your vision is for your property, for your space, for your business, you're going to change the way that people think. So... From there, I go directly into my core values. And my core values are pretty straightforward. Be true to the brand. Explain to your staff what it is that you want your brand to be and where you want to take this. Because without that, you're never going to get there. If you're hiding what your vision, your core value, your mission statement is for the restaurant, you're never going to get to that point. The next that I have is to promote. Okay, Everywhere we go, we are being seen, judged, and graded. In life, social media, and in the press, we're walking billboards for our brand. It is our job to promote the business at all times, to believe in the brand and to share that brand. So we all know that in this world of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, we post stuff all the time. And I've had to change the way that I do stuff because you know what? I'm not a party animal, although I do enjoy to go out and have a little bit of fun every now and then. And you guys all know that. But I'm a business owner and I have the responsibility to make sure that the 72 employees that work for me and for my partners in this restaurant, that they're taken care of, that they're never, they're never embarrassed. And I had a weird situation in the restaurant a couple of weeks ago where I had a guy who came in who was, uh, you know, I'm going to say it, he was kind of a dick, you know, uh, he wasn't happy with his meal and he wasn't happy with the service that he re received and he wasn't happy with the fact that a, uh, that uh, the managers had come over and they were quote unquote a little flippant with him, which I highly doubt because I know these managers, but, but you know what? That was his perception of that. And then he started to tweet live while sitting in the restaurant and talking just full fledged shit and saying, I'm going to continue to rip this restaurant apart. And, and a manager came over to me and said something to me. And I let the, I let my passion and I let my, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, I let the anger that I had at that point kind of take over. And I, I walked over and, and I said, Hey, why don't you do me a favor? If you're going to continue to talk shit about us and tweet about us while you're sitting in the restaurant, get the fuck out, get out. You know, it was a really weird thing, but, but it turned into an ugly situation. And I realized, you know, the next day that what I did was wrong. He is a guest. It doesn't matter if that guest is right or wrong. And don't get me wrong. There's times where, you know what? There's nothing you can do to make somebody happy. And I've said to people, and I even said to this gentleman, what is it that I can do for you right now that is going to make you feel better about this situation? And he said, nothing. I'm going to continue to talk shit about you guys because I just don't think that you guys are doing what you should be doing. And it took me a couple of days to kind of think about all of this and realize exactly where we were. And I realized that we did make mistakes. We had skipped steps of service. We had skipped the core value. We had skipped the mission statement. We skipped every part of it. And I had sat down with my general manager and I said, I want you to reach out to every single person that had written a bad review about us. And I want you to invite them in because we stole from them. I stole their money. They came in with the, an expectation of getting a great service, with an expectation of getting a great burger or a pizza or a pint of beer. And we failed them at that point. And it was at that point that I realized 
I learned another lesson. And if you're not learning things on a daily basis, then, then you're not living. So I've reached out to every single person from, and just so you know, if anybody's going to try and get some free shit out of me, it's not going to happen right now, but I just want you guys to know that from one date to another date, I've reached out to and apologized to every single person that had a bad experience in our restaurant that wrote about it. Some of them I didn't do in a public way. I didn't make that note. But what I did do was I reached out to them because I realized that I fucked up, that my staff fucked up. And from there, I continued to write out my core values. And those core values followed through as, as this. We have guests, not customers. Guests come into our homes and our place of business. We welcome the guests. We engage them and we serve the guest, and then we thank the guest. It's those four things that is what we do in our business. We welcome them. We engage them. We serve them. And then we thank them. And with that, I have a staff that has to have an amazing attitude that we're all a part of a team that works together to be the best, that there are no problems. There's only situations that need to be resolved. We never discuss the policies or the issues within, inside the restaurant in front of our guests because you know what? The guest doesn't care about that. They want their food. They want their burger. They want their service. It's that simple. And we always have to remember that enthusiasm breeds success. From there, from that amazing attitude, we walk into teamwork, which is assisting the fellow employees who need help, that there's no problems again. There are only situations that need to be resolved. Every position is equally important to ensure the guest satisfaction and loyalty. We are a team and a united front that we all look good together. We are not out there to look bad together. Okay. But if we don't look good together, we do look bad together. We will take ownership of every guest issue. Four words that are going to rip a team apart is very simple. It's not my job. And then the last part of my core value is pretty straightforward. It's that we exceed the expectations of our guests. Our guests have an expectation when they're walking into the restaurant. And we are an emerging brand with a great background and a reputation that we need to exceed the expectations at every single turn. We don't just welcome our guests into our space. We guide them. We lead them. We educate them along the way. Our guests need to be wowed at every opportunity, whether it be in your greeting, the execution of service, the food, the exit, the goodbye. It's our job to go above and beyond. And the rule number one that we live within the restaurant at this point now is that we have to smile and we kill them with kindness because you know what? The guests that walk into the front door of my place, if we are not taking care of them, then somebody else, be it down the road, around the corner, around the block, they're going to take care of them for you. So if you're not taking care of your guests while they're in your place, then somebody else is going to do it and they're going to do it better and they're going to take off from that point. So everybody do me a favor. I want you to look at your staff. I want you to look at your mission statement and your core values. And if you don't have them, take the time to write it down and share that information with your staff. And it's really important for me to do that because as I just got finished with uh, a very good friend of mine um, uh, who I interviewed, which I'm going to introduce you guys in just a second, we talked about somebody who's very dear to all of us, to all of us within this group of mess lords that I work with, and uh, a guy named Hodad. And one of the things that he said is that it's not life or death. It's lunch or dinner. So stop taking all the excess stuff so seriously and bring it down to the basics of taking care of your guest. And that's what my friend Panini Pete does. Pete Blom, who has become a very, very good friend of mine over the last couple of years. I have a, I have a, very, I have a very strong relationship with this guy. And I have a lot of, I have a lot of, of heart for this guy because um, he's somebody that I look up to. And I have gotten to know him over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I've, I've met his son who came into my parents' house and had lunch with us or Thanksgiving with us. And, uh, you know, I listened to the stories about his kids and, and his wife and, and the travels and the experiences that we have. And we share a lot together and we have a lot of fun, but we have the same common ground. And that common ground is that we're in a business that involves other people 
that we have to take care of because if we stop taking care of them, somebody else will. So I want everybody to back up for one sec. I want you to kind of turn your phones uh, off. I want you to uh, turn this podcast up. There's a little bit of cursing. There's a little bit of fun that goes into it as well. Panini and I laugh, but really we talk about what it is that we do and what we really enjoy, which is the cooking, the hospitality, the ability to go and cook for the troops all over the world, which is so important to us. And I don't do that for publicity. I talk about it. I take pictures while I'm out there because I want to share the experiences that I have with other people. But for me, it's not about me. All the extra stuff that I get out of it is a bonus. For me, it's about the guys and the women and the girls and, and you know, the guys, the girls that are out there that are serving our country and, and doing what they have to do. And I learned that the first time that I stepped foot onto a military base with these guys, and that was in Guam. And I got to meet people that I never in my life could have imagined. And the job that they do and how important it is to what we do, to our survival, to our safety, and to our freedom. So this is a good podcast. This is a really good one. I'm really happy with the way that this is turning out. And uh, the interview that I just did with Benini, I hope you guys enjoy as well. Um, so I want everybody to step back, take a listen, check out episode number seven of Duffified Live, where I get to talk with my good friend, Benini P. Enjoy. You know, I get to do this every week. I get to talk to some really cool, really fun people. And uh, this guy is uh, kind of right at the top of the list there. Um, this guy I met, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I met him in Guam. was the first time that we ever met. Yes, I said Guam, which is uh, six hours north of Australia. Uh, but uh, this is a guy who I look up to. I've watched his career for the last couple of years. I've had some fun with him. Um, we have traveled all over the world together. We've gotten completely shit-faced in little places like um, Brussels um, and then ending up in some uh, some fancy fine dine restaurant, which we never should have been in because I was GoProing in the middle of the fucking dining room. Um, we, had, we had families leaving. It was like the Blues Brothers where we're like, how much for the women, the little girls, how much for them? Um, so the guy that I'm talking about is my good buddy, Pete. Pete up. Oh, 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 I screwed his name up right off the bat. Screwed his name up. But uh, his name is Pete Bloom, also known as Panini Pete, who owns the number one sandwich shop in the state of Alabama, as well as owns a whole bunch of really cool. Uh, he's got a great place called Sunset Point down there. Uh, he's got a couple other spots as well. So everybody do me a favor and turn your radios up. Uh, turn off the kids, put headphones on them because I got a feeling we're going to start cursing. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Panini Pete. What's up, Duff? Well, you just told all the good stories, man. We got we can kind of wrap this up and we're uh, done. here's my social. Nice talking to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? All we gotta do is all we gotta do now is I have to get a uh, a headshot of you over to Maggie Gagliardi to do the illustration and we're good. That's it. It was great chat, we're man. Done. Thanks. It was great. Awesome. But yeah, great stories. This is gonna be an awesome episode. This uh you is know, a- podcasting is gonna be fun and crazy. And uh, you know, we do have some great stories to tell traveling the world is an awesome thing it's a it's definitely good so so one of the things that i, I think i like the most about you is the fact that um you're, you're you're very seasoned you're not just a guy who makes paninis and that sort of stuff you're actually a culinary graduate from what's that really fancy place that you went yeah smart ass anyway yeah cia so very proud and actually you know i, I went to culinary school before it was cool i got i graduated in 86 uh, grew up in the business. It started as a dishwasher and was just as a grinder and just wanted to, uh, you know, elevate my career and, and hope for better things. And, you know, so I got out of there in 86. I'm actually on the Alumni Advisory Council now and very, very active in doing some events around the country with CIA. Go CIA. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what else? But you also, you guys also do a huge uh, you guys do a charity run there. 
Isn't yeah, it a scholarship so run? Scholarship run is called Run for Your Knives. Uh, Robert Kabakoff, one of my good uh, buddies, is the president of the council, and we went to school together. He's this this uh, very very talented consulting chef, and was uh, he was uh, executive chef for Houston's for years. And you know, I can tell you all the stories about about culinary school with all the excesses, <laughs> drugs, and rock and roll. But um, so it, we're trying to uh, inspire leadership in our industry and also, you know, a good lifestyle in our in our industry of excess. So we do 5K run for the students, 5K run, fun walk. We started uh, seven years ago with about 30 students participating and gave away 500 bucks last year, 300 students and 50K in scholarships. Really? Crazy. And these are direct impact. We stand out there. The winners get knife kits. All the participants all the participants get their name in a hat and we just draw, you know, you win oh, $500 cool. scholarship, $1,500 scholarship, $2,500 scholarship. That's awesome. man. And, um, you know, I've had some of my great chef buddies and businesses, you know, contribute. We, I do a boss man leadership, leadership scholarship. That's tough to say leadership yeah. scholarship, especially with a boss man leadership scholarship. You got them all in there. Yeah. So boss man, you know, our good buddy, Mike Harden that we've toured with, with the mess Lords and passed away a couple years ago. And, that was a tough hit for all of us, but yeah. you know, I got together with some of the guys and his son, uh, Shane even came out last year with his wife. He ran the 5k. We gave away a $2,000 scholarship and he gave away an additional $1,500 scholarship. So there's money flying around everywhere. Well, that's cool. We're just giving back, baby. Just give yeah. back. Give it all back. So, so <laughs> what, what was your, what, what brought you to go to culinary school? You know, I had a great guy that I worked for named Michael Hurst at a place called the 15th Street Fisheries down in Fort Lauderdale. This was back in the 70s, man, when I was in high school, expediter, food runner, short order cook. And this guy was a genius in the industry. I didn't know it. You know, I was pretty confident by the time I made it to expediter. I knew more than him. But, but he was he was president of the National Restaurant Association in the 90s. He taught uh, hospitality management at FIU, ran one of the busiest restaurants in South Florida. And he's the first guy that he started talking to me about making a career of this and, and all of his crew. He would really engage you and want to know what you were up to and what your dreams and goals were. And uh, he started talking to me about going to the CIA. Matter of fact, he wrote me a, a letter of recommendation. At the time, you know, CIA was really, really hard to get into. And even when you got in, um, you know, it was typically 18 to 26 months before you actually entered, even wow. when you got your letter of acceptance. And he Wait. wrote me this killer letter. And how old were you when he went in? Uh, 21, 22. Okay. So around, yeah, a little bit, a little bit older than me when I did. Yeah. 21, 22. I was, you know, I, I got out of high school and really wasn't sure what I wanted to do and just kicked around. I was taking hospitality management at uh Broward community college down in Fort Lauderdale when I grew up and uh, did great for the first year and then started getting into, you know, English and speech and like the core classes that I really didn't want to take. And, um, you know, I'd already been thinking about the CIA. So I got focused on that and started applying, started saving money and was just grinding in restaurants and bars and getting ready to go. And so you moved from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, all the way up to Hyde Park, New York. Yeah. Man, was, there's crazy. no shock there whatsoever. That was crazy. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people don't know I was actually born on the south side of Chicago. So oh, I was I no that. stranger to snow. But I played in it as a kid, and we got snow days, and that was my memory of it. I, I moved to South Florida when I was six. So oh, from geez. second grade on, I was in Fort Lauderdale. So 
the idea of living and working and, and, you know, being able to function in the snow, I was not very keen on. <laughs> your balls all. go all the way up inside your chest. No, yeah. man. I mean, I'd be running from the dorm to school. My hair would be frozen. And they'd be like, <laughs> dude, you don't go outside with wet hair. I'm like, well, why? <laughs> I never thought your hair could freeze. You know, what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> crazy, man. Crazy. Was there a soul patch then, too? Did you have the soul patch? Oh, Christ. That shit freezes quick, man. Me? I had nothing. That shit freezes quick. I had nothing. So what, what do you what, so culinary school? I know so many people have different kind of experiences with culinary school. And, and, and I, I had some pretty wild ones myself right. and you know especially when i look back and i look at pictures and and it was such a different world i mean I, we had to wear and you know because you did it as well but we had to wear full toques anytime that we were or we had to wear those floppy hat anytime we were in a kitchen we had to wear checks and whites all day and all night like that's the way that it was and now it's kind of like hey i got my jeans on and my birkenstocks and i'm good and ready to go unless i gotta be in a kitchen i mean i'm telling you man the culture's changed totally it's a rock star culture now you know, when we're getting into, you know, with the crew that we have now, I've got six restaurants now and, and growing the business. And it was, we even had the neckerchiefs. We had the stiff paper hats. Oh my God. Yeah, poly absolutely. Polyester pants, checks and the shirts and you, everybody. So you're at a college and they're all running around either in chefs or black and whites if they were in front of the house class and hardcore, man, you know, you had your little side towel on the front that was just for show and kind of one in the back that you actually used. Made a big and, difference. Uh, yeah, they were hardcore. I think it made I think it made a big difference in in come from then to where we are now. And I mean, maybe you know what is this? This is two fucking old dudes who were sitting around talking about the way that it used to be. But but look yeah. at the students that are coming out now that don't have the discipline, that don't have the hierarchy, respect. You know, every, everybody wants a TV show now. No, oh, bingo! They come out of school and it's like, all right, I want my own cupcake show. And you know, I had some students I won't talk about. Um, at, at, uh, that I hired down in South Florida, you know, I had a stint down there that were coming out of, I won't mention Johnson Wales cause I don't want to talk any shit about them, but well, uh, you, you know, you know, coming out graduated yeah. with honors and I'm like, Hey, I need you to grill this fish just real quick. Salt and pepper, a little olive oil, grill this mahi. Nice. I want it moist. Don't hammer it. And she was just like frozen with fear because here was a full sheet pan of mahi and, uh, you know, didn't know what to do. Right. Right. And, you know, I was like, go get your fucking money back. You know, you don't even know how to cook fish and um, but great notebooks and all this other stuff. And it's, it's a different culture. But, you know, I'm learning to embrace it. And because that's who we have, we have to win with the team we, we have on, on the field. So true. we got to motivate them. We got to inspire them. And they're not as competitive as, as you and I are. And, and us dinosaurs are. They're more collaborative. They want to work together. Dude, I just fucking ordered a bunch of hats. I have like these like scully hats now bandanas, all this stuff that I wouldn't let anybody wear in my kitchen. And now I'm just ordering it logo. <laughs> the hell with it. I may as well. You know, it's I'm so it in, but at <laughs> least it'll have a logo on it. and It'll look somewhat uniform, but, but the, but to me, it's a profession. You know, if you come to uh, sunset point and you're back there on the line, I started, I rebuilt that whole building and it's started a beautiful space, man. Gorgeous space. I yeah. mean, it really, really is. We're right on the bay in, um, in Fairhope, Alabama, right on the eastern shore of Mobile Bay. I mean, it is gorgeous. We're in a sailboat marina, planted 40 palm trees, fire pits, great landscaping. But the kitchen is like, oh, and when you're standing on the line looking out, it's a little bit of an open kitchen. It opens up into one area of the dining room. And above the where you walk out, I've got all the way across their photos of all these chefs. And on the other line in the prep area, there's weights and measures and primal cuts and my CIA logo. I want it to be a teaching kitchen. I want sure. to know it's a profession. 
And I've got everything up there from, you know, Escoffier and um, James Beard and, and Julia Childs to all these modern day, tons of diversity, um, you know, Latin chefs, Food Network chefs, chefs that have influenced me in my career, but also chefs that they'll recognize, you know, from TV shows. So just try to say, this is a profession, man. Take it seriously. It, it's, it, it, you know, I, I, I talk about the culture in kitchens all the time and how do we have to change things? I, I just did a huge class with my entire staff, front of house, back of house, whole nine yards yesterday, just on culture. And, you know, everybody's got to have an individuality to them and everybody's got to have kind of a, a I, I want everybody to express their creativity in their own certain ways. But we have certain things that we hold true. And I have a thing that I called had, which is real simple. We had an opportunity to take care of the guests and exceed their expectation. Did we do that? And through had, which my had stands very simply for Hooters, American Air and Disney. If you work at Hooters, you wear the orange shorts. You know what your uniform is and you know what that culture is. If you work right. at American Airlines, when there, there's systems and procedures that have to be followed for, by that flight attendant, by that pilot. That pilot never takes off without walking around that plane and looking at it, touching it, feeling it, smelling it, making sure that everything's where it needs to be. All the way down to do me a favor and turn your laptops off, put your seat upright. And then it goes down to Disney, which is the culture of it's very simple. Smile while you work. Yeah. Like to be, able to, to, to be able to get people to understand that, and then I go from had into nuts, which are non-negotiable, unalterable. <laughs> I know, that's because I'm fucking crazy. But you always go to nuts. I do, I do. But I go into this world of they're non-negotiable, unalterable terms and systems. These are things that I'm requiring of you guys to do. How right. we get to that point, we can figure it out. But, but in reality, right. you have to have these things to do. And as you go on through life, it's going to change. Those non you know, those nuts are going to change from 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 place to place. But right. But in reality, if you don't have those things set up for your staff ready to go, and that's why I love a lot of the stuff that you do because you are very educational. You spend a tremendous amount of time teaching. For for, for a lot of people don't know, but um, I was I'm I'm very proud and very honored to be not only a friend with Panini, but as well as have the ability to. The to travel the world through a group that we work with called the Mess Lords. Um, yeah, what a what a great thing that has been, huh? Let's talk, I, I, let's talk a little bit about that. So we've got this group called the Mess Lords. We founded about seven years ago, and it was uh, you know just myself and three other chefs slash celebrity knuckleheads. We're uh, you know it was originally myself, Stretch right. from uh, Grinders in Kansas City, uh, Gorilla from Gorilla Barbecue in Pacifica, and. Mike Bossman, you know, Harden from Hodads. Right. And it really kind of grew out of our, our association with Guy Fieri and some military stuff he did. But basically, he gave us this opportunity, and, and we freaking ran with it. And totally. we go out, Navy Entertainment, shout out to Mama Duck, Karen Fritz. Mama Duck. We call her Mama Duck because she keeps us in line. She literally <laughs> keeps us in line. The first time I met Mama Duck, I was in, uh, I flew to Guam. I was in Guam for 36 hours. I, I landed and immediately the guy said to me, do you want to go? Uh, you want to go right to the hotel or what do you want to do or go to the bar? And I said, well, where is everybody? And he said, oh, well, they're at the bar. So I got changed in the parking lot after uh, just a, a literally like a hell week. I was I, I don't know if you know, I flew from Philadelphia to San Francisco. I gave an, <laughs> I gave an award away in San Francisco at a night at a nightclub award. I then flew from San Francisco to Greece. 
I spent five days in Greece on the Greek government drinking and eating my way through the whole northern section of Greece, just through Soloniki. No, and no wonder they're broke. No wonder they're broke. Dude, you know that I spent that 20... Your bar that did it. <laughs> I spent 27 euros while I was in Greek or in Greece because they would not let us spend any money. So I then flew from Greece to Providence, Rhode Island, where I shot a TV show. I shot Bar Rescue for seven days. I flew then from Providence to... To from Providence out to Guam, so in fourteen yeah, no. days I like went around the world. So I landed, and so Mama Duck. So the first time I meet her is at this bar. She gives me a big hug. I introduce myself to all you guys because none of us had ever met before. Yeah, we had only talked on the phone, and oh, it was crazy. Well, what a, what an intro, huh? <laughs> but the funny thing is, I called Stretch, and I was like, "Dude, my flight was canceled, man. Like my flight out of wherever it was was canceled. I don't know what I'm gonna do right now. I'm supposed to be in Guam." And he's like, "Well, if you don't make it, like the guys will figure it out, but I can't guarantee you're gonna continue to go on tour with them." And I was like, yeah, "Get me on a fucking <laughs> flight right now! I am not sitting here. Get me on a goddamn flight." So, Mama yeah, Duck, yeah. we then go to the strip club, and she hands me twenty dollars and one dollar bills. I thought this is the greatest gig ever. Yeah, when you show up at Guam, that's the thing to do because I, I remember, you know, initially because of uh, flights and schedules and you were going to be coming in a day late and then that turned into a shit show when when the weather kicked in. And I mean, literally, you know, got in that night and we did the gig the next day right in the kitchen. You know, oh. it was crazy. And then we were out of there. So that was a great uh, that was a great initiation for you to come in and, and really learn about uh, the you have to be ready, the readiness, you know, the unexpected, you know, if it's going to happen, you know, Murphy's law. I mean, that was a perfect example of what we oh, deal with on the road doing when kitchens all over the planet. But <laughs> it's such a rare opportunity. We get to go out and cook for our men and women of the United States Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. You know, we do predominantly Navy work, but to, to connect with these guys through food and like we call it serving up a fork full of freedom. It's so humbling. It's so rewarding. They're so appreciative. They work so freaking hard. I'm so proud. Yeah. You uh, heading up that group and, well, and you know, we just did, keep going. You gotta, you gotta tell me the story because it's, it's one of my favorites and you gotta tell everybody about how, how mess lords, how you ended up with the mess lords and the logo. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> this is so cool because I, I gotta tell you, it all comes full circle. You know, we were in Atsugi, Japan, one of our early tours and we really didn't have an identity they kind of said, oh, these are America's chefs with this kind of regal presidential kind of fake logo they put together. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The logo, by the way, Panini, <laughs> Panini first off, how tall are you? <laughs> six foot four. Okay, so this guy's six foot are four. Are you going to go into my F.U. I'm, I'm totally yeah, fucking going, dude. You, we are in, we're, we, well, so you're six four, you're let's tall, let's, <laughs> you're a tall, good looking dude. What? You're killing me. But we had this uh, logo, right? So we're hanging out. We're in Atsugi, Japan, though. And um, we're done with the gig. I got Gorilla with us. It's the core. Actually, it was three of us there. And we're with a group called the Warlords. And it's HSM-51. It's a helicopter squadron out of Atsugi, Japan. These guys are badasses. And we're in the officer's club. And they've got all these carvings all over the walls. You know, Navy's so steeped in tradition. And they got all these cool formalities and, and presentations and just awards and the coins and and all these things. So there's all these carvings on the wall, the logos and the missions and who was there and who was flying it. And all the pilots have all their, you know, handles. And um, their logo is a samurai holding a trident called the Warlords. And it's so bad. It's so epic, so badass. 
And through the course of some stories and, and copious amounts of alcohol, which Karen doesn't like me talking about, but we hit it off so good with these guys. They actually took the flight, took the patches right off their flight jackets mm-hmm. and kind of presented these to us. And we were so stoked. We said, that's going to be our mantra. And, you know, they don't even call it a mess hall anymore, you know, uh, or, you know, mess specialist. It's all culinary specialists now. So we kind of wanted to go old school. So we took the logo, we took the trident out of his hand and we put a fork in there and we call it the mess Lords fork full of freedom tour. And, um, they love it. We're the Lords of the mess. And I was in Atsugi earlier this year. We did Japanese tour and, um, we did four bases there. We did their USS Ronald Reagan, but we ended up when we were on Atsugi, they hosted us at their hangar, man, treated, we're like their little their little kid brother, you know, <laughs> Hey, the best Lords are here, man. And they laid out all this swag for us. And we brought all the swag for them. And we toured the hangar, all the, uh, the hel- helos we got to see and, and, and meet some of the officers. And it was just unbelievable that how that relationship has grown, but the logo is badass. Everybody loves it. You know, now, did you go back when you were just out there? Were you back in, were you back there? Yeah. Yeah. We were there. I was just talking about this trip. We went and did that. We went to Atsugi, Sasebo, Yakuska, Okinawa, Jeez. and we did the Reagan. You know, we actually, John Connolly and I, Salsa Bravo, Johnny Bravo, one of our guys, we actually spread some of uh, Hodad's ashes off the deck into the water, off the deck of the Reagan when we were in uh, Yakuska. It was really, really awesome. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, so we went to, we had to go see the Warlords and um, go spend some time with our big brothers there, you know, and it was That's really cool. cool. But going back to the, the preview, <laughs> you know, the logo is this big presidential America's chefs thing. And we get all these cool patches and swag. So we had these dicky jackets with a massive emblem on the back and all these other logos. And I've got all these patches on there. And I wear it around a little <clears> bit. And we were leaving for a European tour. And it's the only jacket I could find was that one. I'm like, it's going to be chilly. I couldn't find a jacket. I grabbed it. So we get walking. We're walking through this. I don't know if we were in Spain, Italy, UK. Dude, we were, we were, first, we were in the, air, we were in the airport. We are in Munich, Germany, in the airport. Give me the line. Uh, you were, I don't even remember, dude. You said, you said, Panini, what is that? Your fuck you, I'm American jacket? <laughs> I mean, I'm walking around with this huge. <laughs> it was so obnoxious. Oh, my God. It was typical American. It, but I'm like, when you're in another country, it is pretty much. Obnoxious. The patch is like fourteen inches high on your <laughs> back, and you're the toss. It's. I, I, I was telling. I, I was just telling the story the other day, man. I was having a conversation. <laughs> I was in. I was in Tijuana about two weeks ago. It was Ash Wednesday, and I walk into. I had to go to church, so I said to a guy named Victor who drives me from San Diego down into Tijuana. I said I got to go to mass, so he takes me to his church, dude. I walk into the church, and I'm standing there. And I'm looking around and, and Panini, I'm telling you, there's there's a thousand Mexicans in this church, literally in every corner, every single orifice. There's a Mexican head sticking out. I go walking up to the front of the th- to, of the of the church to get communion to get my ashes. And I turn around and I look around and I, I'm telling you, dude, I, I'm like, I'm the tallest motherfucker here, man. <laughs> When have you ever said that? Exactly. And I was telling the story when I got over there and I'm like, I literally felt like my buddy Panini while we're in the airport in fucking Munich. And he's standing there with a jacket on that says like, fuck you, I'm American. But it, so the funny part is it looks like a presidential patch. Yes. Very I mean, it's presidential. Like a 14-inch presidential patch. I mean, it's I'm awesome. a target. I'm a walking target. <laughs> that was but so those bad. stores are so great. We get to, I mean, obviously... We get to see a lot of things. We get to share a lot of uh, uh, stories and we get to see the world. But 
we work our ass off and it's, it's very humbling. It's very, you get so charged, you know, when John and I were in Romania, we worked almost 30 hours straight. You know, we did, we did a lunch service, a dinner service. Then we did mid rats, you know, the midnight rations as well as breakfast. And we kind of fell into the mid rats, the, the MWR, which is Navy's morale, welfare and recreation officer there was like, what are you guys going to do for mid rats? You're going to do something. You know, I looked at John and we just kind of winked and said, fuck it. We're pulling it on. That's what we're here for. But yeah, that's exactly, exactly, Duffy. That was it. It's like that's what we're here for. These guys that we're going home in a couple of days, and they're not. And they're and not. We're here to uh, stoke them out. <clears throat> and God, the morale is so important out there. You know, they're away from home. People don't realize, you know, how hard they work. One, but they're missing birthdays, yeah. and soccer games, and anniversaries, and deaths, and births, and just all the things that we take for granted that we do celebrate with each other. They're missing out on that stuff. Yeah. The huge sacrifice and their families. Some of them have, you know, babies born while they're gone and, you know, wives and husbands at home taking care of business. So it's very, very amazing what food has done for us there. I think one of the big things for me was and it really hit me when I was in Guam, what 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 the impact that we have now. Now, I don't think they they don't understand the impact that they have on us. I can say that right off of that. You know, I think sometimes it's a little embarrassing when you're on a plane and I start talking to somebody and I shake somebody's hand. Thanks for your service. And they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. But the impact for me, the thing that made it massive for me was while we were in Guam and we we cooked for, for hours, man. You know, I mean, I, I think I had like an hour and a half of sleep between the time where we left the bar to when we had to be back in the kitchen at five o'clock in the morning. Oh, and, I thought you were talking about when you had that head on that stripper's lap in the horse and that taking a nap. That was, that nap was a nap. That was nap, nap time. Total nap time. Yeah. Uh, I, I ran out of once, man. There's only so much you can do now. It's nap time. Uh, and, and the funny part about, but, but mama duck, miss Karen, she like, she taught me how to fold the dollar bills into a pyramid, but that's a whole different story. Whole, whole, whole different story. So, but the thing for me was at, during service, we had cooked all day. <clears throat> we were in a, a very odd kitchen. We cooked the whole morning. We had celebrity chef, um, Napoleon <laughs> with us uh, there. Who <laughs> that motherfucker? I was waiting for you to get into that. <laughs> with the, with the, this is the guy who I, I uh, this guy we we get into the into the kitchen and he's and uh, he out walks this Napoleonic complex man who has a chef jacket on with a full toque in the middle of the day and the neckerchief and the awards with the placards that are coming off of his chest. Oh, he uh, had like bugles and French horns and ribbons. <laughs> he had his freaking Boy Scout hat. He pulled medals out. Working at that galley, and he was such an obnoxious. Did you see the pictures he had of him in the suit with the cape, where no. he's like the super chef or something? And he goes to elementary schools and scares kids. <laughs> scares him, yeah. The pedophiles here to pick up your uh, your child from school today. I got candy and Twinkies. This is the one where they took they had all the ground beef because I made meatloaf, and and it's funny yes. how you change your recipe from when you. You know how things changed. Now I'd never do meatloaf again based on that. Unless we were going to like, I don't know, Africa was pretty awesome. But but so anyway, this guy comes out and I said, "Hey, chef, do you have any uh, do you have any knives that we can use?" And he looks over and he, and he goes, "Oh, I guess celebrity chefs don't carry knives with them anymore." And I looked over and I said, "Dude, who took a shit in your kitchen? Yeah, like, that who was shit crazy. in your drain? It was bad." But but the thing that hit it for me was. We were out there in the in the in the dining room and we're talking to all these people. We have um, uh, two Congressional Medal of Honor winners with us. Yeah, that was huge. And uh, this little girl came up to me and started talking to me and her mother. And she said, uh, can you know, I really wish my father were here because he would love to meet you guys. 
And we said, you know, well, where's your father? And she said, oh, he's on watch right now. So we're all in the dining room partying it up and shaking hands with people and having conversations. And this guy's out like watching the gate, you know, protecting whatever it is that we're doing. And every now and then I get an email from that little girl who at that point was probably 12. So she's like 16 or 17 now. And every now and then she sends me an email just letting me know where she is and where her father is. And, And I get emails from people all the time or I've done appearances and had people come up to me and said, you made ribs for my husband when you were in Africa or, and there's a picture. Can I take a picture with you so I can send to him? And that's the cool stuff when you can see the impact that it has. And you hear that they're talking about things that we did to their families, because that's exactly it. We brought a taste of something to them that they don't get every day. I'll tell you what everybody needs to do is check out one. You know, we don't do this for, it's not for celebrity. It's not for us. It's not for them. You know, we've all have been approached by probably 10 different reality TV companies that want to produce a mess Lord show. And it's not about that. But when we were on the USS Baton a couple of years ago, they had some, you know, they had their own media department there. So you've got sailors that are learning journalism and media. And they came out and took some videos of our first day of cooking there and put together a little, almost like a sizzle reel. It's funny. And it's on YouTube. If you guys check out Mess Lords Rock, the USS Baton, B-A-T-A-A-N, and you'll see an amazing little kind of peek into what we do. And it's it's um, myself and Johnny Brava and, and Hodad were on that tour. It was the last tour Hodad did. And uh, the coolest thing about it is you get to see what we do because we cut up in the kitchens. We play music. These guys get to lighten up a little bit. Yeah. You know, the, the rigor and the structure of, of the military we get to create a little chaos in there and have just fun, 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 fun. And then beyond that, the last like five minutes or four minutes of it are, are them interviewing people in the galley. And when they're talking about it reminded me of home, it reminded me of grandma's, you know, happy food makes you happy. And these guys, you know, it just takes them back. And for a moment, you know, it's just it's that, wow, they are just stoked out and they realize kind of why we're there, what they're doing. And, and they, I think it helps tremendously. You know, we're not the guys that go out there and, and no no offense to the, you know, the big rock stars that go out there. But, you know, they'll play a gig on the on the deck and, you know, their hour long concert and thank you. Good night. And maybe do an autograph session. And, you know, we know through our our uh, dealings that, you know, they're also setting up golf deals and different things that they're doing while they're across the world. And meanwhile, right. we're out grinding all day in the kitchen, showing them things, prepping, standing on the chow line, slinging beans for 4,000 people. After, you know, after being in a kitchen for 14 hours, cooking in a corner. Yeah. And then we go out and buy them beers and, and get in the trenches and buy them beers and shots and, and drink Dude. with them and, and just love them up. We're so, we're not, we don't go out there. Oh, we're celebrities. You know, no. we're just out there to serve them. And, you know, it just stokes them out. And yeah, we got our autograph sessions and our pictures and stuff, but it's so much more intimate. Yeah. And I think Karen, that's why Karen loves what we do. That's yeah. why we have people like yourself that appreciate it. You know, we've had a few guys that have come out and done a tour and, and don't get invited back. They're prima donnas. Yeah. They think it's about them and they worry that the conditions or they don't have the tools or, you know, we send recipes and we coordinate all that, you know, that's one of one of my pain in the ass parts of it is coordinating all that. Yeah, you gave me that. Fun. You gave me that one time. Duff, yeah, take the responsibility. The I was like, these man. fucking chefs and, um, never reply. You know, well, it's we're on different time zones, different products. 
it's tough, man. And then at the same time, we have to deal with what's there, you know, um, and it's going to be wrong. It's going to be you're going to have something. Oh, we don't have fresh, you know, um, you know, half chili or whatever. We don't have this. We don't have that. But we've got pickled jalapenos. OK, same thing. No, yeah. it's not. It tastes <laughs> like shit. We're not making bar nachos right. at the movie theater. Um, but it's really, really great. It's really rewarding. We've got probably, I think, 10 chefs on the roster now. You know, we've been able to bring some more guys in because we have to. We're in high demand. And, you know, when I started it, I think I had one restaurant, you know, and now having six, it's my schedule's not as, as yeah. good. And luckily we have guys like yourself, you know, that can run lead. You, Johnny. Johnny's like, he's like the fifth Beatle. He's been with us since so almost the beginning. Yeah, he's He's great. a blast. And, uh, you know, Gorilla's so busy. Uh, he doesn't go on a lot. Stretch is freaking crazy. He doesn't know. even know that. So it's good to have you on the roster and some guys that can help run it. But um, what an amazing thing that is, the mess lords and food. You know, is to, you know, I had a lady in town from uh, England yesterday or day before doing this travel show she does for some internet TV in London. She was doing a thing on beignets and coming through Mobile and the Gulf Coast and heading to New Orleans. So we did this whole interview and she was loving the beignets and going crazy. And I go, you know, the coolest thing about these beignets is I've cooked them in Romania, Japan, Africa, Bahrain, Spain, Italy. I've cooked them on aircraft carriers. I mean, there's probably every other tour I try to throw in some beignets in there. And uh, it's it's been very life changing for me and very humbling. Well, and it's thank you for being part of that, Mr. Duff. I love it, man. It's a huge. I'll tell you what. It's one of the. Uh, it's something that I hold in a very high honor. You know, when Stretch called me and asked me if I would do that, it was a big, big thing for me. That was something that I really, you know, and I didn't realize the the impact that we had until we got into those places. And for me, I went to Guam first, and then I went to a couple other places. But then, as I start to work with other chefs, like I mean, being in Cuba and working with with Panini and working with, uh, you know, Sarah at that point was massive. That was huge. I mean, that was just yeah, I'm, cool. I'm fucking Cuba and I'm cooking, you know, ribs and working with all these you know, TCNs and, and, and the Jamaican guys who won't get wet because it was raining out. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, it, it is it's something awesome. And well, I really have that moment where you realize sometimes some of those early tours, Guam was uh, your first tour of Guam. We had a band there, Experimento out of South Florida. What great guys. They were awesome. Great guys. And um, that was their first tour. They've done a bunch more. And, it, and even Cuba is it's like a customer appreciation. So there's bands there. There's conjurists and BMX teams or exhibition, uh, you know, uh, karate teams or something. So there's kind of a lot of fanfare. And then when what what a lot of the chefs that we've had that have done several tours, all of a sudden we do one of our typical tours that's so much more intimate. Yeah. And they realize how significant it is what we do early on. It's kind of fanfare and you don't. Always, I remember John Connolly, we were in uh, Djibouti, and you're grinding out four or 5,000 meals. You're in the middle of the asshole of the world. I mean, Dude, the Horn of Africa, Djibouti, it's really nasty up there. Um, but that's one of our most strategic ports that we have. I mean, we have, you know, that's where evil does business. You're right at the bottom of the Straits of Hormuz and right across from Saudi Arabia and all these, all these countries where um, shitheads tend to go to train and do their business and buy stuff and we have to be there and it's got awful place and it's hot. And, you know, a lot of times they're on lockdown and not even off allowed off that base. Yeah. And we were in there grinding and grinding and grinding. John had done a Gitmo tour, which was a lot of fanfare. And then we were out in this one and it was, you know, a lot of guys, all branches of the military. We get them out there and I, I run out the hype. We're slinging hash. I drag them out in the dining room 
which seats about 400 at a time, keeps rotating. I'm like, <laughs> hey, welcome, guys. And we thank what you're doing. And I'm Panini Pete from Alabama, Roll Tide, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we just appreciate all you do and, you know, being away from your families. And I'm giving them the whole spiel. And I, I turn over and I, you know, introduce this is this is Johnny Bravo, you know, from Flagstaff. And John is just bawling like a baby at this point. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you. Uh, you know, but you look in their faces and they're young men and women. And, um, you know, it's, it's a whole cold, hard fact that, uh, you know, while they do, and some of them come back, you know, some of them don't, some of them yeah. miss a lot. Some of them don't come back the way they left, you know, and, and, and a lot of them for better, you know, it, it helps make responsible men and women and, and huge out of them, but some of them take some, make some huge sacrifices for us. So we all got to thank your troops, man. Yeah. Big time. And, and you know, I have actually become friends with a lot of the people that I've met while be, while we've been on tour. I mean, I was just up in Connecticut and I got to hang out with uh, Amber Boyd, who is, was oh, your yeah, was, I saw that. she was the dog handler that you she got attacked. <laughs> yeah, she sucked. The, she, she, she had in a Djibouti, throat. Africa. So, yeah, she was running the K-9 squad in Djibouti. And um, we did the whole thing. I put on the Michelin Man suit and got chewed up and dragged around and knocked on my ass. She's sharp. So she out now? Uh, no, she's still in. She's doing stuff up in Connecticut and she's still handling and, and doing all that. She was a lot of fun. She, I, you know, I, I really wanted her to enjoy herself as much as possible. It was important yeah. to me for her to get a little bit of a VIP, you know, so I got a yeah. full VIP passes to the whole event and she brought in a friend of hers and, um, we just had a real good time. You know, I gave them access. I said, Hey, here's my room. Here's a key. They give me a huge right. suite when I go up there. Like she ended up, uh, hanging out up there for a little while. And I, you know, like order room service, like go have fun. Like I got to work today. You go upstairs and chill out. And she sent uh, me just the greatest email and a great text one day. Like, thank you so much. And, um, but it's, it's amazing the people that we get to meet out there, but, but we also get to have a little bit of fun. While we're out there, too. The good thing is, is, is um, you know, you do. I've had people come from that. I met in Gitmo come into the restaurant and and uh, yeah. Puerto Rico come into the restaurant or family members that came into the restaurant. One of the best stories is we were on the USS Enterprise before she got decommissioned. So we're on the first and the finest, the legendary USS Enterprise, first nuclear aircraft carrier built. We, we go do Djibouti. We do Bahrain. We hop in a freaking cod, this little prop plane that's kind of like their Greyhound bus that slings a few people and, and mail and stuff. You know, it's, it's small enough where it can land on a carrier, but it can hold about 20 people. And you're in these little seats and you're strapped in and you're facing backwards. It's got the hash and so we get two hour flight freezing. We got cranial helmets on, you know, the whole yokes, everything, the ear protectors. And, and um, we land on the deck of the enterprise. You know, I thought for sure, I was like, holy shit, we just crashed. I'm ready for water to come rush again. It was so violent, you know, and they're like, hey, perfect landing. I was like, oh, good. I got to change my shorts. Perfect landing. My ass, you know, but we spent three days on there. And one of the last days we're in a, one of the ready rooms where the pilots all go. You know, this is kind of their little mission control. They were still this was 2010, 2011. They were still running support for ground troops in Afghanistan. I mean, literally, they were I mean. It is what it is. They were they were flying out with fully loaded with weapons and bombs and coming back empty. Um, so it was an intense time. But, you know, we go into the ready room and they were just getting ready to start their flight. They're all geared up, ready to go. And um, here's this pilot turns over, points over. and He goes, yo, Panini P, what's up? And I said, what's up? And, you know, there's there's hype for us coming there and there's posters up. So it wasn't 
you know, crazy that somebody knew my name. But then he's like, dude, I'm from Fairhope. And I was like, what? You know, I don't know if he said dude, but so I run over and give this guy a big hug. So this is a pilot, fighter pilot's name is Jacob Ingersoll. He's from Fairhope, eating in my restaurant. You know, the whole deal is, is, uh, is one of my shop owners in the neighborhood was his teacher and blah, blah, blah. So we get up and we're taking some pictures. And I mean, this guy was literally just shaking. He was tremoring, you know, and it was so crazy for me because it wasn't the fact of anything else that he's getting ready to go do what he's going to do. And all of a sudden in the midst of it, here's this guy standing next to him from his hometown. It's not about a chef or celebrity chef or anything. It yeah. was a guy from Fairhope, Alabama, standing there giving him a hug. And it was just, wow, I could just see the way it just affected him. And that's crazy. Then he turns out, I get a video. We go out and watch these guys take off. They they were doing what they call a cubby launch where somebody's going off the waist of the carrier, somebody's going off the front of the carrier. One of the co-pilots was vi- filming their takeoff, and you could see us on the deck, you know, standing out there watching flight ops. And uh, you can see me anyway. I, <laughs> I didn't have my FU American jacket, but I was standing out so he sends me this video and also says, hey, by the way, uh, four doors down from your house in Daphne is where my parents live. <laughs> I'm like, oh, the guy with the dry cleaners? I was, yeah. So he has since, he's been in the restaurant a bunch. We've become great friends. He actually just relocated back to Fairhope. He's out of the military now. He's a reservist. He's training. He's getting ready to go work for American Airlines, who you just mentioned. And he's training pilots out of uh, Pensacola. And it's so cool to get to meet these guys and, and uh, hear their stories and or even when we're on the road, the people from our towns, it's, it's amazing the connection they share and, and how much they want to, uh, you know, share with you their stories. But what I, we can go on all day about mass sports, man. It's a beautiful thing. Well, well we have for the last 40 minutes, so <laughs> we're good with that. But, but one of the cool things I think is, is for me, when I get out there beyond, and this is kind of a, a really a massive perk to what it is that we do is some of the behind the scenes stuff that we really get to see. Yeah, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of that too. <laughs> I mean, I mean, some of that stuff is just you know when you when you get to walk the wingspan of a C-130, and you know, yeah, exactly. And, and these guys, like you know, I'm 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 trying to make sure that my smoker's at the right temperature. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and that's thirty-five million dollar piece of equipment. They're responsible. That's for. my day. Like you know, that was We're the like, hardest decision I had to make. Like, am I going to put that into two thirty-five or two thirty-seven? Like, which way is that yes. going to roll? And this guy's like, they're getting a little banged up. Yeah. And this guy knows that there's 20 miles of wiring within this, within this $35 million plane. And if you pull the red one, you know, it's going to release the fucking bombs. Like there's some, it's just insane. And then you go over to the helicopters and these guys, the, the, the knowledge that these people have and the training that they get is, 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 is just unmatched. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. So I'm making, you know, making sure I don't cut my finger. Yeah, we get on the carrier and, you know, you have one of these guys that run the flight deck ops. And he says, you know, you've got a young man out here who four years ago, his father wouldn't even give him the keys to his car. And now he's launching thirty five million dollar jets and he's more qualified. The responsibility that they have, the camaraderie that they share, the teamwork, all that stuff is huge. You know, in the civilian world, we can learn a lot from these guys. And uh, it's just amazing the expertise that they have. And you got to sit back and go, man, your folks must be so damn proud of you because they work at such a high level and they're excited about what they do. They like showing off the stuff. And, um, you know, I mean, I've, like I said, I've had two carrier landings now and two, you know, launches 
And as well as we drove, we flew in an Osprey out to the deck of that USS Baton. So you talk about <laughs> crazy. This thing's got the two props. It's like a, it's looked like they made it out of spare parts. It's like a helicopter <laughs> meets a jet meets, you know, freaking, I don't even know. But, um, you know, we rode, we flew in that thing with the, with the cage open or the, the hatch open for two hours. And, and then it just whipped around and landed straight down. And you landed on it on there. We rode an LCAC. They open up the back of the ship and says, we have, uh, some operations we have to do today, some exercises. Do you, would you like to come with us? You know, sure. And we don't impose on them. We don't say, Hey, we got, you know, 30 minutes off. Can we go shoot some guns or fly around? It's not about that, but we do get a chance to experience some cool stuff. And we're riding around in an LCAC around this ship, which is this huge hovercraft that can take like 14 umbees and, and launch them onto the beach. And you're just giddy. And yeah. at the same time, you're in awe of what they do. And how talented, how skilled, um, you know, while we were on a submarine, we were in a sub base. We did one in Guam. We also were up in uh, Wimberton uh, or Whidbey Island, Kitsap, and um, and had a sub base up there. And we were on the big nuclear sub. So we went from a fast attack sub to the monster ones. And the guys that are new on the subs, they have to study and study and study and study before they get their little dolphins, their little gold dolphins are on their on their uniform. They have to know basic operations of every single thing on that boat Amazing. because your life is in each other's hands. So until they they acquire those, there's no farting around. There's no you know reading books, watching movies, doing anything because you know they there's 180 guys down there or whatever, and you know and they're dependent on each other to survive right. day in and day out. And they have to know everything on that boat from how it works to how they get rid of trash to what generates power. It's, it's insane. I can't even talk about it. Yeah. It's big. It's classified anyway. And, and then exactly. You're going to get shot. Now. We've already broken seven international laws. <laughs> and then, and then after this kid, you know, this, this man is done doing that. He comes out and he shakes your hand and thanks you for doing ribs. And he's, and he's 20. Yeah. He's unbelievable. 20. You know, unbelievable that, you know, we don't trust, we don't want to put a kid on a saute station because he's not ready. You know, oh, he's a fry cook. And what I've learned through the mess lords is if you train them right and you take pride and you believe in them, they they can do anything they can, you know, but you have to be trained right. You have to be patient and, and you got to encourage them. And it's amazing what, um, you know, that these young men and women are able to accomplish and and how sharp they are. Freaking awesome. So what is your, what's, what's going on now with what you're doing? You got six restaurants. How many paninis? Yeah, we're so busy right now. You know, Panini Pete's, we celebrated our 11 year anniversary uh, in February of the original one and uh, opened a second one in Mobile about five, a little over five years ago. I'm sitting in that store right now. Beautiful old 1850s era uh, building in downtown mob town, we call it. And um, about, and then such a point, you know, the beautiful seafood place we're doing, but for Panini Pete's is my big goal right now. We are uh, about a year ago, I, I partnered with a group called Fresh Hospitality, and they are out of Birmingham, Alabama. And I've been dancing around with these guys for about six years. Michael Bodner is one of the principals, and, and he's a guru. I mean, these guys are Yodas of the industry. Um, they're really into real estate development is a big part of what they do, but they're also in the restaurant business. So they're, they help entrepreneurs like myself grow. If you're driven, you have a great concept. And you're willing to drive that brand. They can help you do it at a higher level through technology, uh, some shared services, but also the ability to uh, 
you know, acquire good new spots and new real estate. So, you know, when I got to the level of saying, you know what, uh, you know, I'd like to maybe do more of these. And I have a good buddy of mine, Pat Martin, who's one of the barbecue badasses out there. He's out of uh, Tennessee. He does whole hog. He's great. So uh, he has been partnered with them. So he told me, hey, if you want a couple or three restaurants, just do it. You know, if you want to have 50, get in board with with fresh. So that's my goal now, 50 in the next eight to 10 years. And and we're growing. We opened three last year, you know, Destin, two up in West Virginia, which, yeah, you got to sign the Wall of Fame up there. At Morgan that was the Pat. first one. <laughs> that was, yeah. I know. The first you, one. You the first one. You're right. Of course. I was saving that spot for you. But, but. but uh, so Dude. we're really growing that brand. But what I'm doing now is just it's all about what does that brand need to be to blow to get to that level? You know, the Fairhope store is iconic. It's legendary. But that in and of itself, can't, I couldn't take just that and go grow it. I mean, it's an anomaly. It's in this crazy spot. And, you know, we have a huge courtyard and Fairhope and it's a limited menu, very small kitchen. So now, you know, we've added in a coffee element. We're, we're roasting our own beans. You know, I'm, I'm dabbling in the juice and uh, smoothie world, you know, expanded salads, the beignets. We're doing sliders with the beignets now and breakfast is rounding out. So it's really going to be a slick restaurant. Those facilities up there are really nice. You got to see that one. Yeah, it's beautiful. The, uh, yeah, the second one we did is even cooler. Um, so we're just there's a lot going on there. I'm also working on uh, my first cookbook, Sandwich Life. I'm doing a podcast as well now. What's the name of your podcast? Hot off the press podcast, you know, Panini Pete's got to have a Panini press. So it's H-O-T-P podcast. And you're going to be on one of mine soon. So on podcast, I'm doing that. I'm working on getting beignets in the grocery store, uh, doing all kinds of fun stuff. And and uh, great. You know, I've got a family, too. My wife's a special ed teacher. She's a phenomenal. She just got her master's and just been teaching already for about 15 years. Uh, my son's 20 now, goes to uh, Catawba College up in Salisbury. He's a swimmer, captain of the swim team, and he's um, also studying musical theater. All my kids are very artsy, yeah, uh, very talented. <laughs> they say, oh, just like that. I'm like, no. There's a difference between being a ham and being a performer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. So my yeah, daughter, good. she just did uh, – they just did it, Les Mis. They just wrapped their production of Les Mis this year. Phenomenal. Play. She also starred. She was Mary Poppins last year in that musical. I mean, I'm so proud of those kids. As, you know, as you are viewers, I love your girls. I got yeah. we got to hang at Thanksgiving last year. I know, man. Fun. You know, what's, what's <laughs> kind of funny about us is is we we kind of find each other throughout. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a couple. You know, I guess it was whatever last year in May. Uh, I was in Chicago, and you texted me at like 11:30 at night. And you're like, dude, are, are you in Chicago? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, come out and meet me. And poor fucking Panini. Is now hanging at oh Howl at the Moon. What a night that was. Ugh. We ended up in we ended up in some dungeon playing <laughs> electronica. What was that? I don't even Dude, know. Dude, I don't that. even know. We were, it was it was an after hours club that you yeah. had to have like a password to walk up and get into. And basically, either way, no matter what the password was, we weren't cool enough to be in that club. <laughs> and we got in anyway. And we got in anyway. They're like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just let the old guys in and, and let them hang out. Is that a hot chick? No, she's not. You guys can go in anyway. Uh, and I, no, no, I don't know who was with us, but it, it was it was bad. And then Penny looked at me at like three fifteen in the morning, and he's like, "Dude, I'm going home, man. I, I don't even know why I'm here right now. Like, we got to get the yeah, fuck out of here." Yeah, we're doing the restaurant show, man. I'm already at home. My my director of operations and one of my business partners, Nick Demario, he was with me, and um, so he's with me. He's already passed out. I'm close to passing out. And that's when I catch it was already like eleven thirty. You're something. in your that's pajamas. Like, like Duffy's in town. You know, yeah. oh, I'm getting an Uber. 
And it was the same thing in West Virginia. You know, I look at a post and you're like, get your shit together, West Virginia. It's some dirty bar post or something. I go, dude, where are you at? You're in yeah. West Virginia? <laughs> yeah, Morgantown. I'm like, dude, I just opened a restaurant in Morgantown. I'm here. Let's hang out. So yeah. once again, a fun night there. And uh, and then Philly. You know, I show up in Philly for Thanksgiving. My daughter's band is doing a, uh, a play up. Uh, they were doing a parade. The Thanksgiving Day Parade, right. So I fly my son in. And my, my wife chaperoned them, so she was already there. So we come in. We flew in Wednesday night. We go to the parade. They get on the bus and go home. Yeah. Arnold and I, man, it's another food adventure for us. So we stay for the next three days, and it's like a cheesesteak, a palooza, and cannolis, <laughs> and food, and broccoli rabe, and roast pork, and, you know, and then we go to Duffy's for Thanksgiving. You know, that was so much fun, man. Yeah, that was a good – that was definitely a good one. That was awesome, man. I loved having you guys in, and I love Philly so much, and and, and I grew up in a house of, of educators, so I, I really, you know, and, and my father used to have uh, Irish teachers that would come over every summer, so I learned, like, all the shit about Philly, and I loved, like, taking you guys around. You're a great work guide. <clears throat> Dude, I, up I love my city. Thanksgiving, right? And, you know, so everything's, like, on lockdown. Next thing I know, my son and I are in Duffy's Jeep and we're driving up to the to, where the hell were we? Like with one of the big statues or trophies and we were on top of the uh, on top of the art museum. The art museum, yeah. We're, yeah. And we he like just Duffy just drives right up there. Oh no, we're good. Security's like, where are you going? No, we're good. I'm fine. I know where I'm going. <laughs> we're driving right to the top of the stairs where everybody runs up the famous Rocky stairs. We get out of the Jeep. Sir, sir. Oh, don't worry. We'll only be here. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm with him. <laughs> we, we had more fun. We did Philly cheesesteaks, the iconic photos. Oh, man. You are a hell of a tour guide. No, I love my city, man. I'm a big, big fan of it. And, and I know that if you came, if I came down there, that it would kind of be the same thing. So it would definitely be a lot of fun. But but yeah. now we have uh, now we got next week. Yes. Oh, I'm so stoked about Vegas, man. The nightclub and bar show. So. You know, I'm going, getting ready to do a demo down there with you. You set up this whole, you know, the innovation kitchen. And, and I'm so stoked that you're a bigger part of this and they're incorporating food. And, uh, man, it's going to be great times, great chefs. Uh, I mean, this is a whole new um, audience for me, too, because now even though we are in the bar business, you know, with with um, Sunset Point, you know, a nice high level of mixology. We do some great stuff. But to really immerse myself in it in a, an event that's all about nightclub and bar and spirits and elevating your game. But dude, this is, this is just really, really exciting for me. It was, so they asked me to be on the board last year and asked if I would uh, help, you know, kind of to, to, they're looking, you know, they want to get some younger faces and they want to get some people, not that I'm fucking young, but they really wanted to do some stuff. And one of the things that I said was we need to do some sort of a, uh, some sort of a culinary section because of the fact that look, bars have food. It's not just all about the booze. It's not just all about the technology. We need to start reaching out to some of these, these bar owners that want to update their stuff. So we ended up partnering with uh, amazingly with chef's warehouse uh, and they are doing all of the food. Um, for this, we partnered up with Middleby Equipment, who Middleby it has has is is donating all of the equipment to this. So every chef, and we have eight chefs, 
And these are eight real chefs. It's not just about being on TV. Uh, you know, we, we, we went back and forth on this. And the one thing I said is I want real guys, real guys and girls that are working in kitchens. So we've got Panini Pete out of Alabama. We've got Chef Keith Breedlove out of Sacramento. Uh, we've got Nikki Libs, Nikki Liberato, who I can't wait for us to all to party together once we get into yeah, Vegas. Man. You know, uh, Kayla Robeson out of Cincinnati. We've got Nicole Brisson out of Vegas. We've got Matt Varga out of Connecticut. Uh, who am I missing? Nikki Libs, you, me. Uh, I think that's everybody. And we literally have this amazing group of people. Great lineup. Great and lineup. every one of you guys gets to use some of this new uh, technology. Like there's the Perfect Fry, which is this cool machine that's all self-contained. And, you know, and everybody gets to do their own thing. And then we're going to do a forum afterwards. And then we get to go out in Vegas. I'm excited about that. I'll tell you the equipment thing, too, which is cool. I got contacted by the mayor uh, here in Mobile recently. There's a, we, we just built this huge Mardi Gras park. Um, in downtown. Now, Mobile is actually the home of Mardi Gras. You know, a lot of people think it started New Orleans. It didn't. You know, Mobile was actually the capital of French Louisiana before New Orleans was. We've been under French rule, Spanish rule, British rule. I mean, it's an amazing city with amazing history. So within this Mardi Gras park they just built, they're building this huge pavilion that's going to be a lot of open air markets and outdoor stuff. Well, they want to incorporate a couple of what he what he coined the phrase, I think, micro restaurants. So I'm like, well, okay, what's your vision there? <laughs> well, like six, you know, six bar stools and an oyster bar with beer and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm going, okay, that's great. You know, I'm not going to make any money with that, but we're, we're going to figure it out. And uh, so he, he contacted me and another good restaurateur friend of mine, Bob Omansky, who owns the, uh, the legendary Wenzel's here downtown. And we're going to kick around some ideas and help him out. And one of the first things I said, but looking at that facility was you are so lucky you called me because I'm doing this yeah. gig in, in Vegas and it's all about, you know, equipment that can fit in where nothing can fit. Spaces. You know, a little bar, you know, you got these little bars that have no kitchen or just a closet in the back. And, and now you've got a whole branch of the industry that is catering to them and using technology to develop great equipment to put great food out of very small places. So, this is a double bonus for me, brother. It, dude, uh, you know what? And, and I was, I didn't know what to do because I, one of the things we're in a convention center, so you're not allowed to have an open flame with a lot of things that you do. So I was automatically challenged with, we need to find something and a company that can do with, do what we need them to do. And Middleby, it was, it was an amazing response. They automatically hopped in and said, we have, you know, the Houdini, which is a Blodgett convection oven that has its own three phase, uh, filtration system or air filter system. They cook six, cook six trays of bacon and you couldn't even smell the bacon, which is bad in its own way for the restaurant and whatnot. Fryers that are all self-contained. And do they have this thing called the perfect fry or no, the, uh, the Crispin hold. Uh-huh. Which is it, it? It circulates air underneath and around the top of food, so your French fries can your French fries can stay in there, or coconut shrimp, or whatever you're going to do, and uh, it holds it for 25 minutes without losing any of the natural integrity. So it's kind of cool some of the stuff that they're doing and what they've put together. But I'm excited for all of us just to get together because. I hate to say it. I pulled in some of my buddies, you know, between oh, you. I, I noticed that line. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of good people out there that I know we're going to have some fun with. Well, Lebrado wasn't he was with us on that little mystery tour in Chicago, wasn't he? I think I met Nick that night. Oh my at god, some point. that's right! I forgot about that. We met him later on. I think they were ta- well. That was when everybody he was, was, at was one with of the bars. He wasn't with us for the whole magical mystery tour. I think by the time we hit Willy Wonka's factory, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was. Yeah, he was. He was at that bar where I thought I was going to get shot when we first walked in. It was like thug life. Every time I turned around, somebody had thug life tattooed on their stomach. <laughs> 
I'm like, we're <laughs> fucking dying in this place tonight. I know. By the time we left, you had one tattooed I, on your back. I did. I got, I got, I got thug life tattooed on my left cheek. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a tattoo guy. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, I'll tell you what, you know, I've, I started a long time ago working on a cruise ship right out of culinary school. Got my first ink in, in the 80s before it was, you know, it was pretty much either prison or, or military. Right. And it was pretty obscure. And then I kind of laid off for a while. And, and um, you know, all of a sudden there was, you know, 14 year old girls with more ink than me. So I had to get back <laughs> in the game. And, uh, you know, what really, really spawned it too is, uh, you know, the military tours. We started getting some tribute tats. So, uh, my whole left sleeve is all is almost exclusively mess lord stuff and you know literally i've got inked in uh guam i've got inked in uh, bahrain and you know some crazy stuff all over the world we actually i was with selena teo great james beard award winning chef out of kansas awesome. city we were in okinawa and mama duck was she'll set us up some tattoo time you know sometimes so we go to this base and uh she sets us up we go walk off the base we go to the tattoo shop at like two in the afternoon and and uh they're running behind, thank God, and, and he's not ready to do us. But lo and behold, it's some cat from Jersey that opened up a freaking tattoo oh, shop outside nice. the base of Okinawa. And I'm like, I'm not coming to Okinawa to have a dude from Jersey <laughs> give me a tattoo, you know? What the F? This is all – oh, we're busy. Cancel that. Sorry. So, but, yeah, so so uh, definitely uh, got some great tattoos, and, and they don't – you know, they're cool. I mean, it doesn't scare anybody anymore, thank goodness. It's a, it's yeah, it's big. Everybody's got them. You just you just finished in the whole inside of your arm, didn't you? Yeah, you know, I had this one all kind of punk rocked up with just individual tattoos. So I went and uh, to fill it in with some little sailor stars and and some you know things like that, just kind of fill in stuff and maybe a few small charm tattoos. And and Kevin Black from Man of War does a lot of my ink, and he's great. And he's like, well, you still got a lot of room in there. We can do a couple more. And <laughs> six or seven small tattoos later, and the whole doubled up arm. About a four-hour session, I was like, ah, you know, and all the sweet meat, like you said, up under oh, the yeah. arm there, and you know, so I got a panini on top of my shoulder now, and I've got, you know, I got some ham steaks over here, whatever. I don't know, it's crazy. <laughs> we threw in some food stuff. I just threw in some a chicken leg. I got a fish rack, you know. <laughs> but I mean, I've got the Horn of Africa, you know, from Djibouti. I've got the Big E Enterprise. I've got the USS Chicago. I got Strike Force Three, which is when we were on the John C. Stennis and that that uh, Strike Carrier Group, and and they're really cool. And every time I look at them, it just man, it takes me back to how amazing and and how we do this. It's so much work with the mess lords, and sometimes I say, man, I don't want to do it anymore. And and then I'm like, I can't ever stop doing no, that. That's awesome. Way too amazing. That's awesome. Way too amazing. Well, but the it, restaurants are going great. Well, the funny part about it, I think the group, the whole group of us, is we have a series of group texts that uh, that, that is 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 the most eclectic. I was going through pictures the other day, just like you hit that little information button at the top of the group text, and it's so yeah. funny to see all of our. It's it's it, we we still share all of our lives, and there's guys out there that we haven't even. I've never met Gorilla, but like right. you know, there's a response that comes in from him and. And it's so funny to kind of look through. And I, I remember the first time I went in to get my, my next tattoo. And then it was like two months later, I've got another one. One shot, I got two at the same time. And you're like, you joined the mess lords and now you're fucking getting all inked up every time you turn yeah. around. So I got yeah, a guy in Tampa like, oh. who just crushes it for me. A kid named Frankie Ayers, who it's neat to watch his progression. I've got four of his, four of his tattoos that he's done for me on my arm. And the last one was the rooster that I had, the cock. I finally got my yeah, cock on my arm. That's a, <laughs> yeah. that's a good one. 
But yeah, those texts are amazing. One guy starts and then it's a freaking two hour diatribe from everybody weighing in on the craziest shit you've and ever the, heard. But every now and then you and see the that somebody leaves. Somebody takes off. Oh my God, the pictures alone. I still have a picture of a spider no, in a toilet. Stretch. stretch always taps out after about four or five. He's like, Stretch just left the conversation. Stretch just left the he conversation. Fucking, he never wants to play for long. <laughs> no, Stretch. Stretch isn't out there for the long haul with those. Um <laughs> But it's good. So, so what what else do you have going on? I know you're doing great some traveling. Year. I mean, and- this year, you know, we did Japan in January, um, you know, which was amazing. Opening the new restaurants. I'm working on some new ones in Birmingham and, and Nashville now. You know, I went and did this awesome uh, celebrity chef tailgate out for the Super Bowl, and um, that was huge. What do you call it that in uh, Houston? Yeah, Guy Fieri was was the keynote host uh, of this huge tailgate. Twenty five hundred people. It was myself. Um, Aaron May, Eddie Jackson, Douglas Rodriguez. I got to meet Douglas Rodriguez. That was so cool. The godfather of Nueva Latino Cuisine. And we're actually uh, publishing his next cookbook. I have a publishing and production company now, too, with a, with a partner of mine. And we're doing Douglas's next cookbook. So I'm really stoked about that. Um, after that, the next week, I went to uh, Cali and filmed another episode of Guy's Grocery Games. Yeah, so, so that's so funny. When I, when I see you on those, I just fucking roll, dude. <laughs> So funny. That, that's going to air in December. We did a uh, a Chris, uh, you know, a holiday special, and um, after that, then I was I was helping my mom move from Fort Lauderdale, which happened to be the same weekend as South Beach Food and Wine. So Carl Ruiz and, and Guy and all them are blowing up my phone, and and went down there and hung out and watched him do one of his big uh, food fight ep- uh, events. So there's still just a lot of fun things going on. I'm very blessed and, and lucky. I got some great people. Like I said earlier, Nick. Demario, one of my business partners that, that you met up in West Virginia, he's been a huge game changer. He's a Philly boy. He, you're right. He's a Philly boy. Yeah. Philly Jersey. He uh, he loves it. He's always wanted to do water ice, broccoli rob, Italian pork. You know, he's like, hey, let's do this. And uh, he's been a blast. We're just having fun. Things are going good. You know, I want to try to open a couple more restaurants this year. But uh, at the same time, we're working on refinement. We're working on getting people, like you said earlier. You know, that's the challenge. But the culture's great. One of the things I heard earlier on one of your other podcasts was talking about the dynamics between the front of the house and the back of the house. And, yeah. You know, keeping that that camaraderie, that chemistry, and not the bullshit where everybody's against each other. And you know, we we have a really good, good, good culture at uh, Sunset Point Panini Pizza. And I think that's what's going to really help us grow long term. I've done I've done a lot of classes at NCB, and I've I, I I'm lucky enough that that people you know I guess they they care about what I have to say, which is weird in its own world. But well uh, spoken and smart, contrary to popular belief. Well, you know, I, I did a, I did my culture class with my staff yesterday that I was telling you before, and and right. at the end of it, I kind of. I stood back and I looked at the look on the on the on you know the looks and the faces on everybody that was there, and and I, it's the first time that I've ever spoken and I I mean I've spoken in front of five six thousand people and you know done a lot of motivational stuff as well and I stood back after I did it in my own restaurant and 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 I was just like I fucking crushed that I crushed it and you know what because because I I started off with everybody you know we made some mistakes in the in the beginning of opening and it happens you make mistakes and and if if you're unable to realize that you made that mistake and move forward from it then you have you know then you're going to fail it's just that simple and for me we made a lot of mistakes in the opening of this place because I, I haven't been there as much because I've been traveling a lot and I started my whole thing off with I apologize to you guys 
you know, I apologize that I have not been the leader that I needed to be here for you guys. And, and over the next couple of months, I'm going to be spending a lot more time in the restaurant. I'm really working much closer with my staff and all that. We also, dude, my, my fucking GM went to jail the day after we opened. So oh, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> what about what an industry, man? This guy goes I to jail. Bail money back that I paid over the years. Damn it. It's kidding me. I, I couldn't believe it. Like literally the day after we opened, we opened December 5th, December 6th. This guy goes to jail. He's got a series of bench warrants. He's got a violation on a protection from abuse. <laughs> He's got a fucking DUI that he ran from out of Georgia. And just so you know, Panini, the day after I hired him is the day that we started doing background checks. And this was the first guy that I did yeah. not do a background check on. And uh, then he gets out of jail and uh, has a heroin overdose in one of our apartments. So, oh, you know, Lord. I, we, just he just crushed it. Drug addict, criminal, you know, he just nailed it right across the board. Uh, uh, it, it, it's it's a it's a whole different world with that stuff. But uh, but I'm stoked to talk. This is the first year that I'm talking about bridging the gap between the front and back of house, because it's something that that I've seen and I've watched restaurant owners struggle with. And my clients struggle with it all the time about that respect that both people have to have for each other. And it's massive. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, in Panini Pete's, when I opened my first place 11 years ago, that was one of the biggest things that I focused on. And I ran the place from the from the line, you know, for the first five years. And, um, you know, that's that's critical. There's always been that divide, you know, since I was 14 years old working in restaurants. And, and um, we've done such a good job of uh, creating a better culture. And, I, you know, I'm not revolutionary in that area. There's a lot of restaurants that pull it off. But I, but the ones that don't, you can really, really tell. Yeah. And you can tell the people that come from those environments, you know, Absolutely. where they're just being a dick just to be a dick and uh, with for no reason. It's just, you know, we all need each other. We're different. They have different roles. Uh, you know, somebody gets to be nice and pretty and, and make tips and, and uh, you know, bust a table or two. And then somebody else is back there sweating and with cornstarch in their crotch and freaking miserable. Absolutely. and, and Chef slurry. And, I got a slurry. You know, but that, but that's who we are. We're that damaged group that, you know, we embrace the pain and we get there on the line. That's what we do. And you can't be upset about it. You have no. to just freaking love it, man. Like Hodad always said, it's life and death. It's not life and death. It's lunch and dinner. Yeah. So <laughs> don't stress the fuck out, you know? Dude, I'm going to write that down. It's not life or death. It's lunch and dinner. It's exactly. not life. I love that, man. And I, and I, I didn't know him the way that you guys do. Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, we're talking about Mike Mike Harden or boss man, boss man. <clears throat> and uh, you guys literally spent so much time with him and 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 the last time that I saw him was in Cuba and uh, when <laughs> when I gave him a little bit of an edible and he took yeah. like <laughs> friends for life <laughs> <laughs> that fucking guy was just amazing. Unbelievable. But he, um, if you watch that that mess lords uh, baton video, one of the first things he says is you know. I'm having so much fun when I die. I want to come back as me. Yeah. And, and that was, that's just, it's tough to watch, but, it, but I, I watch it a lot. You know? So do I. Because it, it's so cool. And, and he, he got, he's been through it all, but he got to a point in his life where he was, he was so happy and humble and, and loving. And, you know, he was making a lot of money. The original ho dad was doing 4 million a year and he had the one in a gas lamp and things. Yeah. So he got to the point where he was even rich and he could tell you that and get away with it. He can say, well, you know, I'm rich. I'm okay with that. And whatever. This is, this is a man that. who has a who has a, a tattoo of a Jesus bobblehead on his on his thigh. Yeah, tattooed from his chin to his toes, and and hoops and mohawk. And well, a you got dude. you got a ta- you got a you got a hoedad tattoo, didn't you? Yeah, I got my tribute, my boss man knuckles, and I was probably one of the first ones to get that. Yeah, you know, with a big star that he has on his neck, and and he very influential. Well, the first tour I did with him in Gitmo, he was. Um, 
Well, well, I don't think that was the first one I did, but it was the Gitmo tour that in particular, we spent a lot of good time together. And I just had one of my crew that was going off the rail, kind of a sous chef, and she was partying and hanging around the wrong people and getting pretty irresponsible. And the day, uh, the day I'm leaving, you know, I'm supposed to be heading to the airport. She's like an hour and a half late or something and coming in half in the bag. And it was so stressful. And, you know, it's the first time I was leaving the restaurant for a long period of time. And, um, you know, basically I told her, I said, you're fired. You know, you, when, when I come back, you're going to bust your ass this week and do your best. And that's going to save you a reference. And that's going to save you, let you hold your head high. Right. And after, after spending time with Hodad, he's talking about how he looks for the value of people. And most of the, his crew, he says that I wouldn't, most people wouldn't hire the people I hire. And yet they take a bullet for me and they're so good at what they do. And they're so honest. He goes, I have one guy, he's, he's 15 to 20 minutes late for work every day. And he goes, you know, it bothered me a little bit the first couple of years. And then I tolerated it the next few years. But the last 12 years, it hasn't bothered me at all. So I'm yeah. like, you know, here's a guy who's been with him almost 20 years and he's still late. But he's like, the guy's great. And he's always there. He's never called in. And and I really started looking differently at at, um, at the value of my people. And I felt like I always cared and worked hard and, and tried to be a great operator and a great owner. I mean, I, you know, I spent a whole lot more time being an employee and being a cook and being a manager and, and a chef than I did being an owner. So it changed me so much. And when I came home and, and told this, this young lady that she was going to get another shot, I know she was grateful and, and um, moving forward. I actually heard she's an executive chef at a restaurant nearby here right now. So her career's continued to, to go and blossom. And it's all about that guy just saying, care about your people, treat them good. You know, you got to have a line in the sand that, you, you know, at some point you may have to cut bait. But he says, you know, I've been burned a few times and I'll get burned again. Yeah. That's just the nature of who I am. And, it is. and uh, he loves his people. He loved his he loved his team very, very, very much. And, and um, the stories I heard when I was there after he passed and we went for the service about how many people he helped with medical bills and insurance and stuff that nobody knows about where he was just like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And, you know, my yeah. kid had cancer and oh, dad just gave me money, you know, and, and just. It's unbelievable. Well, a lot of guy. And Shane, Shane has really, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Shane because he fell into this at this point. You know, I mean, Shane's what, 24? Yeah. You know, just got married and, you know, he's got his own dreams and goals. And, you know, the cool thing is when he came up for that race, we had a really good talk and, you know, we're all worried about him and you're going to get yeah. married and what are you doing and get a prenup <laughs> and all that stuff. And he's all of a sudden, he's got these big shoes to fill with his dad being gone and, you know, Lexi, his sister lives up in uh, Washington State or something. And, you know, he's the guy that's kind of been hands on. They got a great guy down there, Jeremy, the right hand man that runs yeah. the business. And I told him, I said, look, here's what you need to do. You got a lot of stepfathers. You got a lot of uncles, you know, and me, oh, yeah. and Stretch and, you know, Duffy. All He's got all these restaurant guys that are like his little stepdads that are going to look out for him because we love his dad so much. But I said, you got to All you have to do is take care of that. You don't have to be hodad. You don't have to tattoo your knuckles. I said, if I die tomorrow, my son nor my daughter would take over and run the business. Right. It's not their dream. It's not their goal. And I could just see him be so relieved just saying that. I said, so your dad wants you to be happy. Your dad wants you to do great things. Now, if you take care of hodads, you know, and make sure whoever is there and in charge and they take care, you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. Right. You know, I mean, that that will afford you the ability to to really just go be who you want to be, yeah. you know, don't screw that up. Don't let it go right. away, but you don't have to be ho dad. You know, you don't have to be the boss, man. You don't have to be, you are the owner. You can't change that. Right. But you know, and he literally, 
you know, he travels and he's doing fun things. And it, it kind of made him feel so good because I was just like, you don't have to be that. My, and it, it was kind of enlightening for me, too, because it, it all came together at that moment. I said, my son would not take over and be Panini Pete or not suddenly run the restaurants. He has no desire. Now, he works in them. Well, so does my daughter, you know, summertimes and stuff. They, they'll they be, you know, and they're both wanting to be into acting. So they'll probably be waiting tables a pretty good bit in their career. Yeah. Hey, my girls are in my place now. So, yeah, exactly. I, I loved, I went out there and I had never met Shane before. And, and I, I wasn't able to make it out there for the service uh, with everything that happened. And, but I, I had, I, you know, I texted Jeremy and Jeremy said, Hey, Shane is in the restaurant. Give him a shout. And, and I texted Shane. I said, Hey, I'm Brian Duffy, you know, and, and I had texted him a couple times before, especially after, after uh, Bossman had passed and stuff. But uh, I walked into that restaurant, man, and he stopped what he was doing and sat down and had dinner with me. Right. Had never met me before, yeah, and just definitely. just had dinner, and and he was so hospitable to the point that I, you know I took an Uber over to his restaurant. He drove me back to my hotel, and he was saying, "I met this pretty cool Russian chick. I'm going out to have dinner with her." And little, you know, next thing you know, this motherfucker's marrying the hot <laughs> Russian chick. Now. <laughs> you know, it's not even a year later. So, but it was always yeah. nice. He's always been very hospitable, and and even if I have you know I have a lot of friends who live in San Diego and that go out there, and I say go into Hodad's and stop by and ask for Jeremy or ask for Shane, and they treat them like they're complete rock stars. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, Mike used to always do stuff. He would, you know, he would meet, especially that with all the Navy bases there, you know, we'd meet so many people yes. on tours and he'd take a business card and he'd tear off the little bottom right hand corner where it looked like a little rat was nibbling on it. And he says, you take them and show them this card. And that was his little signal that they had actually met him or they were actually yeah. cool or whatever. So he would tear that little corner off and he says, you take this in the restaurant. They'll treat you like a rock star. Oh, and he was awesome. so giving. Yeah. of everything and I think Shane and, and Lexi both have that spirit and uh, they're great kids and great people and and it, it really made him a great restaurateur as well you know he he early on one of the one of the moments that we had too was that, you know he said I'm not a chef you know I'm a one-trick pony he wasn't even comfortable after a tour or two he didn't want to keep doing it and uh, I talked to him and I said I said oh dad you know I said boss man you you belong here more than any of us I said it's not the food is the vehicle we're here to give thanks. We're here to spread hospitality. We're here to let these guys know we appreciate them. The food is just a vehicle to bring us here. I said, your philosophy on life and business and success and just loving your neighbor. I said, you can give more to these kids than we ever could. And you do every tour. Yeah. Uh, and not to mention the freaking Hodad cheeseburger line is always the longest one. In it's, every yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's on the food, too. But he had, at a human level, he had just reached a point in his life where he was just such a good person, such a good soul. And well, I, uh, it was great to get to know him. I've got a boss man on my menu that, uh, you know, I, and and, it, and the reason and it's on there one is an homage and a thank you. And but it's done the way that he did it. And when you yeah. watch that video, it's a burger, man. But the, yeah, man. the passion that he holds behind it and the way that he taught and you see him and he talks about everything <laughs> yeah, coming Jesus. down. You guys can't Jesus. see, but we're literally like doing our little jazz fingers here. Because yeah. that's what he used to do. He would tell, you know, talks about all the juices coming through and putting the ketchup and the lettuce and the tomato and everything the proper way. And and uh, and when he wasn't able to make it on that first tour, that that tour that we had all gone through and he wasn't there, but we did his burgers anyway. Yeah. And, and that same pride was passed from every one of us. Oh, yeah. In that burger, right, man. all the way through. You watch but, that you'll see me doing yeah. it. His, uh, his, I was his burgers. Do that on my, my menu at one point, I, I had had it and printed it, and I sent him a proof 
And I said, look, I'm thinking about doing this. I was calling it the stepdad burger. <laughs> the <whole> dad. It's, <laughs> it's just as good as the whole dad, but a little bit different, the stepdad. Yeah. And he goes, I love it because, you know, he was he was always – he was so funny, man. He, You know, you know his sense of humor. He said, I'm going to open up another chain of restaurants and, and um, to, to serve kids, you know, for single moms and – yeah. And children with single moms, and I want to help them out and work them, and we're going to call it No Dads. <laughs> <laughs> he had me going, you know, and he's like, oh, "No, he's just, oh, dads, oh, dads. whatever." He's just yeah. he was so funny and and so charismatic, and that's we need that's a whole nother podcast. Well, my, we can go to San Diego sometime and do a podcast. We'll do it with Shane, Shane, and 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 that crowd. I mean, the love that went out. I mean, we did his service at Padre Stadium for crying yeah. out loud, and. um there was a chap chaplain from the Navy there that spoke, uh, you know, that that we met on the Enterprise, and he talked about the impact he had on the sailors, and you know, and what we do does. So it's a cool thing. Yeah, cool. He's a good man. Good man. All right, so uh, we should probably end up. We've been talking for an hour and a half. Yeah, let's wrap. This so, city, but everybody's got to be asleep or hung up by now. I know exactly. Uh, so do me a favor. Why don't you uh, tell me who you are and where we can find you? So once again, Panini Pete. All right. And you can find us at PaniniPete's.com, SunsetPointFairHope.com, or Panini Pete on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. All the same, all Panini Pete, P-A-N-I-N-I-P-E-T-E, makes it easy. And uh, follow follow me. Uh, we do a lot of fun, cool stuff, um, you know, with, with Duffy, with other chefs, with other business people. We're, we're very blessed in, in the fun things we, need to, we get to do. And uh, it's exciting. Hit me up. Any questions you got? We're all here to help each other, man, in the industry. We mentor everything and everybody, and we learn every day. We teach every day, and it's a crazy freaking awesome business that we live in and a crazy world that we run around in, and and uh, just tune in, man. We'll, we'll keep you guessing. Yeah, and what's your podcast? Podcast is Hot Off The Press Podcast, which is H-O-T-P Podcast. Okay. So, you know, I spent that, I guess, came up with that stroke of genius because I work on Panini Presses, but I don't know if it works, but that's what we call it. So HOTP podcast and and uh, just, you know, interview a lot of cool people, a lot of cool chefs and restaurateurs and some of the events that I do. Um, it's really gained a lot of momentum. I started a little over a year ago, but I didn't take it very serious. And um, Keith, my uh, production partner, is is uh, really kind of talked to me about, you know, how much fun it can be and that and uh, really what a serious business it is and people that like podcasts. So the last few months, four or five months, I've gotten very serious about it. And uh, he's getting a lot of content. Matter of fact, I overran him yesterday going, dude, when are you going to drop another podcast? It's been like five weeks and that's bullshit because I got like six in the can. So yeah. kiss my ass. I'm doing my part. All I'm right? trying to get my I'm trying to get a, I'm trying to get a can full right now. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's tougher than you think. But, you know, originally I was looking at doing a radio show. I was being approached on that. And I just said, no, I don't have the time. So yeah. but I, I don't want to get into that. But check us out. Follow us. Come meet with us in Fairhope Mobile Destin or on WVU campus. And uh, we'll slip you up some hip hip beignets and a hot panini. <laughs> nice. And then at next week, if anybody's out in Vegas or if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, you can absolutely go to Duff. You can go to NCB and you can buy your ticket right now and you can get $50 off your ticket just by putting in Duffified 50 as that code. You get to meet Panini. You're going to get to meet all these awesome people that I get to deal with on a daily basis. And, and you, you heard the little interaction that we have just here right now. And, and it, it, it only is amplified uh, once we get in front of each other. You know, the games start playing and, the, and, 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 and it, it all becomes a great time. And the cool part is when we get in the kitchen, we're both just cooks, and that's the way that the game plays out. So it's a lot of fun. So well, appreciate Panini. you having me on the podcast, brother. I'll see you in Vegas. Well, I told you that that was going to be really good. 
Panini's awesome. Uh, so Panini, if you're listening to this and you're out there, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your uh, expertise. Uh, I appreciate your mentorship and I appreciate the conversations that we get to have, uh, every time we do, um, you know, traveling around the world with this guy is, uh, has always been fun. We've had, we've had just so much fun together between going from, you know, uh, there was a, uh, there was a great time that, that Panini and Selena and I, uh, Selena Teo, who's an amazing chef out of Kansas city. Um, she's a, a Cicerone. She's a, uh, she's just, uh, she's an amazing woman. Um, we were in Brussels, I believe, Belgium. Yeah, and we were in, in in yeah we were in Belgium, and we were running through this tiny little town, and we were on a bus heading into I guess Amsterdam, and so we talked about Mama Duck in that conversation for a little bit, and uh, Karen, who is the director for MW or for Navy Entertainment and all of that stuff, she kind of she's the one who coordinates everything for us and allows us to get onto these bases and allows us to do all that stuff. But so Karen looks at us and she says, uh, uh, "You guys have six hours. Go, go and drink." Yeah, I mean, look, Selena's a Cicerone. It was really a great opportunity for us to go and have some amazing Belgian beers and go and sit down and have some fun. So they drop us off in the center of this little town, this beautiful little town. I'm not kidding you. We walked 25 yards, 25 yards. We walk into this bar. And as soon as we walk in, there are brothers that are behind the bar. We didn't know they were brothers, but they were the owners or the bartenders or whatever it was. So we walk in, we sit down first beer. And the guy kind of points over to the to the the uh, uh, the refrigerator that was next to the bar, and in there were just bottles upon bottles of beer. Well, it was our goal to drink every beer, to at least try every single beer that was in this case. Well, that is exactly what happened, and then. The floodgates opened. Next thing you know, the guys are bringing out cheese plates and they're bringing out all these little things. And all we wanted to do really was go and have some frites and kind of chill out and have some fun and maybe have a couple beers. Well, it turned into a full-fledged day load. We ended up getting back onto the bus. Uh, we had a friend who lived in Amsterdam or who lived in, um, in this little section of town as well. And he said, hey, there's this great restaurant that we should all go to. So we hop on the bus after after a full-fledged, like, six-hour day load, we hop on the bus. We end up getting into, like, uh, the center of this other little town, and there was almost like – I want to say it's a Tesco, which Tesco out there is like um, – it's like a grocery store. It's kind of like a uh, – uh, it's like a – how can I explain it? Like, like a Sam's Club, only they have every single thing you can imagine. So – we go in this little thing and all we're really looking for is booze because, you know, we needed more booze at this point. So we run into this little store. We buy a couple of bottles. We run out, get back into the bus. And this is like a full-fledged tour bus. I'm talking about like beds in the back. There's a huge like seating area in the back. And all I did for that whole week was really kind of hang out on the front of the bus and in my in my little bunk area. Um, it was an exhausting week. Huge, huge, huge week. We just never stopped traveling. So – we were heading to uh, this little chalet or chateau. I apologize. We were heading over to a chateau. So we're driving down the road and we next thing you know, we pull into this massive, massive estate. So at this point, all I really want is like some frites and I don't know, you know, maybe a little bit of steak and I'd be a pretty happy dude. We pull up to this restaurant. We park in the bus parking area. 
we walk through the exquisitely manicured gardens. Now here is six shit-faced people. I'm talking full-fledged dayload. The sun is, has just set about an hour prior to this. So you guys know what happens after that dayload. You sit down. Uh, the sun starts to go down. And then that's it, man. The last thing you want is you really just want to you want to close your eyes. You want to fall asleep in like the lazy boy with like a blanket over you and the dog next to you and a bottle of water or Gatorade, whatever it is. But you get my point. Well, now we're walking into this. I'm not even kidding you. A fine dining setting like full-fledged, like fine dining. We walk in, and the and the, the hostess who was standing at the front door, this cute little thing, looks at us, and we are loud, obnoxious Americans. It was bad. We never should have been to this restaurant. We should have turned around the moment I looked at the exquisitely manicured gardens. There were, like, topiaries, these, like, you know how there's like, oh, my God, look, that's a bush that looks like a dog. That's exactly what this was. So we go into the restaurant. We sit down. They put us upstairs after we – you have to go through the kitchen to get into the dining room. Love the concept, but I had to walk through the kitchen. Now, this is a classic European kitchen. Beautiful blue tile work all over the place. The kitchen was absolutely stunning. New technology, innovation everywhere that you looked. Sous vide machines running at the same exact time, like over on the counters. I mean, it was exactly what you would expect kind of that, that European chateau kitchen to look like. And here come the Americans and the Americans are coming in. They're going to come walking right through and they're going to make some noise. We've got GoPros. We're trying to take pictures and selfies with the guys in the kitchen. Luckily, the chef was super awesome. Chef, chef was a really good young kid. Very talented guy. So they bring us upstairs into the dining room where we're now away from like general population. But they put us in a dining room with like a family. So here's like me and Panini and a couple of other people that are with us. We had some people from Navy Entertainment. It was, just, it, was, it was a full shit show. We're now up there, and it was like that scene in Blues Brothers, you know, where Elwood looks over and he's like, the girls. How much were the girls? The women and the girls. I want to buy them. That was that moment like right there. The family gets up to leave. So then they just they just start pouring on the food. Plate after plate after plate. Well, our bill was like 1,700 euro, which was like, I don't know, what does that work out to be? Like 2,500 bucks or something? Like we wanted to go out and have some fries, man. So to the guy who's out there who made us go to this restaurant, this is an enormous go fuck yourself because that was maniacal. We never should have been there. So that was it. But you know what it was? It was an experience. So speaking of experiences, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys listening to me and I appreciate your support. I hope that you guys can do me a favor and share this uh, podcast with people. And I hope you get to have some of the fun that I get to have while doing it. Um, I hope it's a little break for you guys. I hope uh, you don't listen to it with kids around. And I hope you guys get to learn something. If there's anything you guys want from me, please do me a favor. Feel free to just send me an email. I'm pretty easy to find at chefbrianduffy.com. You can also go through duffifiedlive.com to get me. Or you can tweet me. You can Instagram me. You can Facebook me. Facebook is Chef Brian Duffy. Instagram and Twitter are both exactly the same. And that is Chef Bryduff, C-H-E-F-B-R-I-D-U-F-F. 
I want to thank all the people that I normally get to thank, and I'm going to do it every single week because they make this show happen. I want to thank to Jerry and Jason out there at RadioInfluence.com who put up with my late downloads, who put up with my uh, untimely uh, episodes that I put together typically during the week for a couple of days at a shot. I definitely want to thank Miss Maggie Gagliardi who does all of our illustrations. I don't know about you guys, but it may even be the best part of the show. So Maggie, thank you so much. M-A-G-Z-A-R-T on Instagram. Follow her. Definitely get some of her stuff. She's an inspirational little girl, and I adore what she does. Not a little girl. This this girl's a woman. Um, <coughs> I want to thank Michelle out there at Techno Solutions for always, always, always taking care of my website. She does an amazing job. And then last but not least, I want to thank my company of Duffified Experience Group. Uh, because of that company, I have a lot of these opportunities to get out there and spend a tremendous amount of time in the world. This past week, like I was talking about, I just went down to Fort Myers, got to spend an amazing bunch of days with a tremendous amount of people. And, uh, and I wouldn't have done that if it weren't for my company. So, um, that, so Duffified Experience Group, if you guys want me to come in, check out your restaurant. Like I said, I do uh, creative sessions. I do um, culinary sessions. I go in and sit down with your kitchen staff. I'll sit with your bookkeeper. I will sit with your front of house manager and marketing manager. I'll, I'll sit with your whole staff and I will do you know culture classes, which is something that's really important. And it's really important to me. And I hope that it's important to you guys and your businesses as well. So with that being said, I am going to say a farewell for this week. I'm on my way to Vegas. I'm going to go hang out with all my boys and my girls and 45,000 people that really want to be educated about the inner workings of nightclub and bar. So nightclub and bar in Vegas this week, if you have yet to get your tickets, it's a very simple code. It is Duffified 50. You can go on to the nightclub and bar website. You can type in Duffified 50 when you go to buy your ticket and you get $50 off of your ticket. If you're there and that's what you do, do me a favor and tweet me. Tell me that you're at the nightclub and bar show. Come on over to the Food and Beverage Innovation Center, which is where myself, and you're ready for this, check out these names. Chef Chad Rosenthal. Okay. Panini Pete. Nick Liberato. Keith Breedlove. Okay. Matt Varga. All right. Kayla Robeson. Nicole Brisson. These are all people that are going to be out there at nightclub and bar with me in the Food and Beverage Innovation Center. We want to thank Chef's Warehouse for sponsoring the Food and Beverage Innovation Center. And we want to work directly with Middleby Equipment for what they did and all the amazing innovative equipment that they are allowing us to use while we were out there. So that's what I have to say for you guys. I am on my way to Vegas. I wish you all the best of luck this week. And I cannot, cannot wait to talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Didn't get duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a dangerous conversation with Scott Ledger. Quick fix on Radio Influence. Uh, my daughter's expecting her baby right around six weeks from now. Yeah, Grandpa Lidge. I can't wait. I am having a granddaughter. My daughter and her husband have not decided on a name yet. I'm like, what are you waiting for? Like the last second? Like you're like pushing? Let's call the baby. Oh, shit. Oh, shit's not an acceptable name. Sorry. Unless it's shithead. Steve Martin's dog and the jerk. <clears throat> so my daughter uh, and her husband, Wally, haven't decided. You know, like, pfft. 
You know, clock's ticking here. I'm like, you know, you know, you know what? They're going to have a reveal. See, that's the difference between old times and new times. Everything, and I don't tease my daughter about it, but it is kind of like, okay, everything's an announcement now. You know, when well, they already knew, they didn't know what the girl, the sex of their baby was going to be. They opened it up on Christmas Eve. They do the ultrasound, and then they put it in an envelope, like it's the fucking Oscars. It was awesome. You know, it was Christmas Eve. They're in love with each other. They're expecting their first child. They don't even know what they're going to have. And they literally open an envelope that is a present. But these reveals, you know, there are people that charge money. Uh, my ex does photography for, you know, pregnant moms and stuff. And uh, the, the whole idea of having a baby is an industry in itself, not just diapers and buying things and all that kind of stuff. No, no. It is announcements and pictures and ultrasounds and tick, tick, tick. The clock is ticking. Is my granddaughter going to have a fucking name? Come on. <clears throat> I picture my daughter in the stirrups. Now, I don't picture my daughter in the stirrups, but just, and you don't either. If you're picturing my daughter in stirrups right now, fuck you. Um, But, you know, one more big push. What's her name? Ah, shit. I don't know if we can fit that on the birth certificate. That's a lot of letters. Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.